Also, that dread is getting downright. <laughs> Welcome to Drock episode 39, the latest installment of our monthly investigation into the complete chronology of Mega City One's favorite question mark, definitely most famous lawman, Judge Stred. Uh, we are reading through the complete case files, the collections of Judge Stred strips from 2080 and Judge Stred the magazine. Or I think at this point it is just called the Judge Stride Magazine. I could be wrong. Anyway, my name is Graham McMillan. I'm one of your two co-hosts. And with me is the more talented member of this duo. I would hasten to disagree. But nonetheless, let me at least introduce myself. It's Jeff Lester. Hello, everyone. We're coming to you from Regina George blog. I have a very specific reason for um, for choosing this location, Jeff. We'll get there soon enough, but Alan Grant needs to desperately stop making Fetch happen in this volume. <laughs> we are reading Judge Red's Complete Case Files, volume 35. It's material from 2002, specifically 2008 Progs 1276 through 1301, and Magazine, volume 4, issues 7 through 13. There is a lot of John Wagner here, but there's also a bunch of other writers. Uh, Gordon Rennie's here. Robbie Morrison's here, and Alan Grant, as I said, just just stinks up the fucking joint. <laughs> I, I... Okay, so here's the thing. Yes. The first three stories in this volume are a Gordon Rennie followed by two Alan Grants. The Gordon Rennie is a walk in the park, which is fine. Mm-hmm. It is a perfectly serviceable, if, you know, kind of dull story about Dread and some rookies in a park and the, the creeps and weirdos in the park. Right. Fine. It's a yeah. one-off. It does the job. That's followed by First Blood by Alan Grant and John Burns, a complete waste of John Burns' talent, which is then followed by Unnatural Selection by Alan Grant and P.J. Holden, a complete waste of P.J. Holden's talent. Mm-hmm. What links these two stories is, in both cases, Grant seems to be trying to set up storylines for the future yes. by having something happened that the judges don't quite understand and then it ends with Dredd being like mm, maybe one day we'll find out the secret behind this we're far enough on in, in Dredd that I don't remember everything that happens you know at this point I right. wasn't really reading but I'll be shocked if either of these stories continue right well uh, you know I do want to say just to, uh, to come to Alan Grant's defense which is very hard in, say, in each volume you? yeah exactly a walk in the park does as well like a walk in the park has like oh it's I, well, I, park it has a monster doing... but it's a monster doesn't even do anything see i didn't take that as a to be continued as much as just a like waka 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 there's even a monster here that they've not even met that yeah that kills everyone and then runs off and then is seen like in the shadows like i so i mean on the one hand i definitely know what you're saying and and you're right it's barely a thing but nonetheless in terms of a story that is set up only 
like that also does fit in with first blood and unnatural selection to the point where I sort of wonder if maybe there's a certain amount of let's ed- try and get a continuity going again from yeah this yeah the editors being like come on let's 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 open some stuff up you know let's let's try and get things going because I I do think like part of me is like if nothing else I don't feel like Grant really rolls that way it's always hard to tell if it well you say that but like grant's the one who came up with stan lee i mean sure sure no and those things do happen you know i just it just those it's been those terrible terrible stories exactly exactly yeah no i mean all of which is to say like um I think that your um, observation in the previous volume really holds true, even more true here. Like one thing that really struck me about reading the complete case files volume 35 is I'm like, this feels like current era dread as I define it. Maybe not necessarily a good iteration per se, but a lot of what I read here very much reminds me of, and admittedly, this is going back probably 10 years now, when I first had a digital subscription to 2000 AD for a year and the magazine. And I was reading the stuff and I was kind of like, oh, like there is something weirdly polished and sort of modular about the stories here. And in a way, even the what strikes what normally I would attribute to Grant being like, can't even be arsed to wrap it up in a certain number of pages. Honestly, to me in part because of the Gordon Rennie thing made me feel like they are trying to open up the mythology. Oh yeah. No, especially first blood, even by its title. Mm-hmm. Right. It was very much like a prologue or a first chapter, Yeah, but the entire structure of that story Mm-hmm. Is very clearly like we are introducing a threat for the future. Yeah, exactly. Like it doesn't it doesn't work as a one off in the same way that, like I said, a walk in the park does. Mm-hmm. Like I get that walk in the park doesn't tie everything off, mm-hmm. but I will never be that upset. Mm-hmm. Like you know what I mean? Like that, if, if that doesn't get brought back, mm-hmm. I'd be like, okay, sure, right. Uh, I don't get me wrong. I don't particularly want the the you know crystal skull cloak wearing villain from first bloods come back either but it's much more of a to be continued oh yeah. yeah 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 yeah. no exactly as, as for that matter is unnatural selection which isn't a direct to be continued as much as it introduces a conspiracy and like right. makes a point of introducing conspiracy by having you know the story end again with judges being like hmm what's this conspiracy that's happening Right. Well, and I do think for me, there is a little bit of the the, the unnatural selection reads like if you take out the conspiracy element, which is really fucking easy. Like there's there is the stuff like literally at the end of the story where the guy's like, look, you got to believe me, judge. That's his mask right there. And you see a mask on the ground. You're just like I'm. I really had that thing of like, yeah, that, that feels like, like, you know, Alan Grant showing up at the offices and being like, Oh boys, I've, I've got my, my next, you know, 80 quid masterpiece here. You're going to love it. 
It's, get this, it's Darwinists versus religious zealots because the Darwinists naturally realize that they're the fittest ones and they've got to wipe out the, the God-loving, fearing types. Isn't that great? Like, it's it's like a religious fundamental, waka waka, Alan Grant, sticky sticky. And they were like, yeah, but, you know, we're kind of more into trying to get, like a threat going like kind of like what you had with the crystal maybe you can bring back the crystal headed guy he's like ah, you know how, how about we leave it ambiguous I'll, I'll i'll have him i'll have a mysterious figure come in and out and it'll just i mean i can just throw out this page of like judge dread smacking someone on the head for for i don't know eating soggy chips or whatever you know and they're like great and he's like yeah waka waka give me my check hey I love the, the idea that Alan Grant just says Waka Waka a lot, it, especially because the suggestion that Alan Grant is just Fozzie Bear. Is Fozzie Bear. And 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 John Wagner is Kermit. Oh, man, I got to tell you. I feel like you've just written some fanfic in your head there. I, I, right, written the fanfic? Dude, what is the best crossover of all time but an, an issue of The Muppets Except instead of putting on a show, they're writing 2000 AD. Have you read any of the Thark strips that appeared in 2000 AD in the early 80s? I don't think so. No. You've basically described them. They have a they have a thing where it all the the writers are droids and all the artists are droids. Right. And they're all competent. And Tharg is the long suffering editor. And I... there is a a great one where, written by Wagner, where he's retiring his TB Grover pseudonym. Uh huh. The story is that TB Grover basically can't hack it anymore, but he begs Thark to prove that he could, and so he and Brian Boland create a Judge Dredd story in a football stadium live, <laughs> and Thark is so upset with what TB Grover is doing <laughs> that he has to take over and finish the story himself, wow. and then TB Grover is made into the receptionist at the two thousand eight offices. <laughs> Yeah. You know, now that now that you mentioned it, I haven't read that and that does sound classic, but I do have the thing of like, oh right, yeah, there are still I think in the letters page of two thousand AD, again, at least a decade ago when I was getting the digital Droid version. life strips. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, no, it's it's like that but it's longer. And they're they're either written by uh, Wagner or Grant. Mm -hmm. And for for quite a few they're drawn by Scara. Wow. Yeah, no, they're they're great. They're really, really great. Um, and then Eric Bradbury takes over. He's another like British artist who who'd done a lot of things at the time. Mm -hmm. No, they're they're really fun because it is very tongue in cheek, but also full of in jokes and office politics. Mm, that does sound fun. Like when great. when Richard Burton quits as edit as assistant editor, mm -hmm. uh, Bert the robot gets blown up. <laughs> And gets replaced by Mac One, who's Alan Grant. Wow. What is he called? Is, or is Mac One Steve McManus? God, I can't remember. But Mac replaced... One would, yeah, you would think that would be but, McManus, but he's, right? he's replaced by Alan Grant. Mm -hmm. Like a robot that looks like Alan Grant, who is, who is you know, incredibly Scottish. Like, boldly, <laughs> aggressively Scottish. Aggressively Scottish. Uh, that yeah, should no, be they're, a scent they're, for they're... men. They're great, aggressively Scottish. Oh, God, what would aggressively Scottish smell like? I was so tempted to say, like, shame. But... <laughs> shame and iron brew. <laughs> um... Anyway, sorry. Yes, they're basically what you're talking about when you say, like, you know, Muppets, but they're writing John True Thousand AD. They kind of did that in the 80s themselves. Mm, mm. Wow. And they're great. They're really, really good. And 
anyone from 2000 Year Rebellion listening, reprint those fuckers in one of those magazine graphic novels. Right. Oh, yeah. The, the fact that like they've not been collected is insane to me. Yeah, right. Especially considering it is, again, Wagner and Grant and Iscara. Right? Well, yeah, yeah, but still. But yeah, I mean, I would, I would definitely read them, but yeah, it seems... I don't know that sort of stuff. Even if, even if it feels like it ages well, I feel like people usually are like in charge or like, this is not aging. Well, this is not going to sell. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I could be wrong, but like, for example, like Fred Hembeck did like strips in Marvel age for like years. Right. Those were never collected. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, stick it in the magazine graphic novel. No, 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 no. Like, which is great. Folded, exactly. Right. Right. So right. You don't have to sell. You just have to like get enough people going. Ah, oh, that's fun. Right. <laughs> exactly. God knows. Considering some of those pack-in graphic novels that I read, it's you know there have been worse. So uh, why not? We will get back to dread really soon. I promise. I mean, I at least it's 2000 AD related. So. Of reading, uh, they had they had the Michael Fleischer, Steve Dillon, Kev Walker. Harlem Heroes serialized over like four volumes. Because it went on for so long, Jeff. It went on for so long. And I was like, oh, that's great. I remember that being shit. I'm in the mood for shit. I'm going to reread it. And I forgot that there was good shit. Yeah. And there was bad shit. And the Michael Fleischer, Steve Dillon, Harlem Heroes is firmly in the bad shit. Mm. Mm. It's Just really, really terrible. Yeah. Really, unfortunately, you know, at times unreadable. Oof. That is such a shame. Such a shame. Because honestly, even when you said it, I'm like, oh, Michael Fleischer and Steve Dillon hold the phone. Like, yeah, and then, yeah. then you – I mean, you know the story about Michael Fleischer doing Rogue Trooper, right? Uh, I mean, I'm not sure about that specific story, but let me just say the Michael Fleischer story that always sticks is the fact that Michael Fleischer like, wrote so many pages of 2000 A.D., so quickly turned them around and nobody wanted to pay attention to them. And then basically because they paid for them, had to more or less get them drawn, even though everyone thought they were wretched. Yes. And so that's, that's what I was going to say. He basically stays on the Rogue Trooper significantly long time after no one wants him on Rogue Trooper. Yeah. Just because he's written so much. Yeah. And it's so Rogue Trooper just relaunched in, I'm going to say 1990. I don't think it is. I think it's actually earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's Dave Gibbons writing this time. Yes, right, right. And Will Simpson painting. And then they're, they're done after their initial story. Mm-hmm. Right? They, they're like, okay, here's Rogue Trooper. We're getting rid of the biochips. Uh, we're getting rid of everything apart from, like, it's going to be a blue clone, like, who goes rogue. Right. Right. That's mm-hmm. that's all we're keeping. Yeah. Like, we even changed his name. It's not called Rogue anymore. It's called Friday. Mm. So they they reboot it and then they're like, "Okay, hey, fucking done. We're off." Yeah. And 2008 is like, you know who writes great war stories? Michael Fleischer. <laughs> He'll be great for this, right? Because he's also used to doing like the DC anthologies, so he can write short stories as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. And apparently mm-hmm. Fleischer was like, "I want to like, I'm not getting jobs at DC. Yeah, right. I will 100 write 100 percent write your your comics." Mm-hmm. And they're like, "This this is great." This this is a, a marriage made in heaven. Please go ahead and do it. <laughs> yes. We've got the perfect artist for you. Mm. And that artist is Ron Smith. Oh, no. Painting. What? Yeah. Oh, shit. Wow. Right? And 
I actually really like Ron Smith's color work. I mm-hmm. genuinely do. Mm-hmm. However, if you're trying to make something like the hot new thing, even in 1990, Ron Smith's not the direction you go in. No, right? Yeah, totally. Right? Because totally. he's been working in 2008 for like a decade by that point. Yeah, at least. Yeah. Right? And he's been replaced on Dread. Like, Dread was his character. Mm. And then he's replaced on Dread by this new generation of artists. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the era when, like, Bisley's coming up. Right? right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. You know, this is near where Marson and Yule's Zenith is running. Mm-hmm. Where, like, it's where Scare is off Strontium Dog, and he's been replaced by Colin McNeil and Simon Harrison. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, there's a new aesthetic. An aesthetic that, honestly, I don't think you and I particularly liked on Dread, but there is a new aesthetic on 2008 at the time. And they're like, okay, so we're, we're going to really pretend that this Rogue Trooper relaunch is a big deal uh, by putting Ron Smith on it. Right. And let me tell you, those comics were, even as a nipper, even as a kid, or teenager as I was at the time, like, you you could feel the excitement be sucked out of you reading them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then it just kept going. Yeah, right. Like, I want to say it went on for, like, four years. God. Because there was just so much. But also, it became, like, they became further and further spaced apart. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, like, no one wanted them in there. But they're also being told, like, no, you've, you've, you've got to use this inventory. You've spent money on it. You're fucking publishing it. Right. Yeah, right. Which, again, just so it not just good. Absolutely nuts thing where, you know, they have to use it. and But in the middle of 2008, they're, they're coming up with this thing that's just, like, bad and old-fashioned and, and right. like, a, just moldering. Like, yeah. 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 Mm. This thing that, that is, like, the anti-thrill of power. <laughs> You know, Graham, I got to say, A, fabulous anecdote, and B, let me just say again, what did you think of Complete Case Files 35, speaking of anti-throw power? I think I liked it a lot more than you, if that's what you're saying. No, no, no. I actually did like it a lot, uh, uh, I, I actually think it's a pretty good volume. Yeah. Like, there are there are some not great bits. I think that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Right? But, I, again, there's a lot of Alan Grant, therefore... You know, it's going to be imperfect. Well, but, yeah, no kidding. But I think John Wagner's got some great stuff in here. You know, okay, so so uh, one of the things that I think I want to put up front is yeah. I agree with you. I think this is a strong volume. I really enjoyed it. I'm weirdly fixated on one story. Um, is and it Citizen I, Slump? No. No, although oh. I am actually – no, because I am actually pretty fixated on – when I first I finished Citizen it, Sump. I do too. I do I think too. Citizen Sump ends up being like – like maybe it's just me being sappy. I actually got choked up at the end of Citizen Sump. Oh, Citizen Sump is a heartbreaker. And it is – like I really finished it being like, you know what? I got to say – I like that better than Citizen Kane, which is clearly, you know, it's modeling. It's a, like I mean, a parody yeah, pastiche. First clearly. of all, it's called Citizen Sump. Yeah. And secondly, they're trying to find out why Otto Sump said Rosebuds when he died. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And interviewing various people and various dead ends and scenes and all that stuff. Yeah, no, it's clearly a Citizen Kane tribute. Um, but that ending is... Uh, it's great. That ending is a killer. Yeah, like that ending is genuinely a killer. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. What? So what is the, what is the one story? Well, so I w- let's just say I want to put it off and come back to it, which is uh, I want to talk about Sin City when we get there. And I mean, it's okay. not surprising that I would want to talk about it 
uh, in a way, at length. It's by far it's a, the longest story. It is a long, long story. But there's also just a lot of stuff that kind of did my head in, I guess. So, Oh, well, it's not, a, in, in a bad way? Um, I guess did my head in is overstating it. Like, I found, my, I found myself with questions, and then the more things went on, the more I was like... How do I put it? To give everyone a preview of what I will probably be madly ranting about 45 minutes down the road, it was an enjoyable John Wagner story that I liked reading quite a bit. And then upon rereading, I was like, it doesn't really hold up. Like, it's it's a fascinating John Wagner. This gives you kind of a little bit of everything and you're like yeah this is all great and then when you revisit it it's like this actually really genuinely almost none of this holds together like it's all kind of weirdly shoddy okay we will get there eventually because i both agree with you and think that's a plus interesting i was wondering if you're going to say leaving rowdy leaving rowdy is also one that i'm weirdly uh fixated on i guess it's it's very strange that we more or less get three stories at the beginning of the volume that I feel you just don't think that way about a walk in the park, but I think are like, oh, there's a mysterious thing in the woods. Ooh, there's a mysterious, uh, basically, Alan Grant has become erotically fixated on somebody's um, custom stick shift and has decided to turn it into Judge Dredd's next supervillain. Ooh, Alan Grant has been requested by editorial to squeeze a conspiracy into his traditional, like, megacity ones full of crazy dudes shooting one another up, waka waka, followed by Robbie Morrison's, like, hey, did you get it? Wall crawlers, did you get it? And then you've got, (laughs) like, two or maybe, I guess it's three stories in a row that are Wagner doing very explicit sets of um well i don't know maybe not so much about leaving rowdy but but love story 3 and it's deja vu all over again are are huge like are sequels yeah like one right after another and leaving rowdy itself is a strange um it's a really strange little uh story like i like it and um so for for people like I think I summarized wall crawlers honestly as much as it, it needs to be summarized unless somebody's like unless Graham you feel like there's more you wanna put in there. No, no, I'm I, I think that's honestly all wall crawlers deserves. Wall crawlers is again fine. Right. Um Leaving Rowdy by what you know, the dream team of Wagner and Escara is Dread back in his apartment at uh, Rowdy Yates block where he's not been in, as he points out, like uh, uh, seems it, ever since uh, ever since Walter, which I guess is I'm like, I'm like, wait, when was that story? But it's been a while. The the what's interesting is the first half of the story is that sort of story that Wagner returns to the dread is getting old, has seen a lot of shit and is ruminating about more or less like what kind of life he has made for himself slash not made for himself. Yes. Um, it then changes gears because Rico, uh, dreads 
clone, who is a younger judge, shows up and more or less takes over the apartment because Dredd is giving it up and passes it along to Rico, who's like, yeah, I kind of like it. And you get a mixture of shenanigans in the sense of it turns out that the the regulars on the apartment building are, you know, just as bummed out that Rico has no more interest in them than Dredd did. And then the twist, which is a bunch of thugs who've been waiting in the garage that you assume is, the, the you know, for a revenge gig. Um, it It's a gig not against uh, Dredd, but Rico. And you see a big violent shootout and then the end, essentially. The reason why I'm kind of fixated on it and not nearly as much as the Sin City stuff is is that it is, um, I really like it as a story in part because I love how Carlos Esquera draws Rico. The fact that he has two characters who are literally the same person except separated by age and and uh, Esquera can actually differentiate them differentiate that yeah it's always clear like considering how many other stories like there's always one point i should have come up with a comical name with it considering how many episodes of this podcast we've done of the wait is that syndrome where it's there's always some point in a volume where i'm like wait is that dread or is that some other judge that just i mean it must be another judge because he got shot you know kind of thing but i can always tell when it's dread and when it's rico in this which is is lovely um, I'm also kind of fixated on the fact that I, A, I really like Rico as a character. He's not appeared very much. In fact, he, he pops up for this story and then more or less the, the one immediately following. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, is, is, is somehow, I, I think is so far one of my favorite like the most subtle of Wagner's characterizations, I think. I feel like for me, I'm particularly in the early episodes of this podcast, I was always kind of shaky about how much leeway I was willing to give Dread the psychological depths to which you uh, occasionally attributed him under Wagner's writing. But Rico, for me, is very much a kind of character that you have a really strong sense of even though he's it it's just sort of how he says and what he does and how that is simultaneously similar and different from dread in a way that's very relaxed um i guess or confident well yeah it, it's it's i like rico a lot because he seems like young dread but more more laid back yes exactly you know exactly. like you recognize him as dread he has the terseness but it's almost a bemused terseness. Yeah. You know, which is one of the joys of seeing Wagner write the two of them have conversations. Exactly. Neither of them is wordy, right? Right. They're going to have a conversation to see who can say the less in, in a conversation. Right. But you just get the idea that, like, Rico finds a humor in it mm -hmm. that Dredd doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Rico is just – is somehow Dredd, but Dredd a little bit lighter. Which, in a way, sort of makes sense, I guess, in a way, because I think that, you know, Rico, if nothing else, is a is a is a dread that never had to shoot his own brother. 
you know. Um, so there's a lot going on there. But also, I want to say one of the things that I think is interesting that you may uh, agree or disagree or just go for the default Jeff's reading too much into it button is that leaving Rowdy strikes me as if there is a way in which, because one of the previous times that we saw um, a, dread, a clone dread, dread of a clone of dread is with uh, Kraken. And admittedly, that is the whole lead in to dead man and Necropolis. Yes. But all of the stuff with Kraken, like reading this story really brought home to me how much the Kraken stuff dread is really paranoid in the stuff with Kraken. Yes. He's yes. Yes. Really. Um, he's, he, he's convinced he's going to be replaced. Exactly. Right. And, and you know, rightfully so as it turns out, but exactly, exactly. And I think one of the things that I put out there at the time was the idea to which Wagner himself was, undergoing a lot of conflict about the idea that, you know, a, a kind of paranoid, not fully paranoid, but basically some negative feelings of this idea of like, oh, right, I'm going to be replaced. I'm not going to be on this forever. Well, it's okay, going to keep the, uh, going on whether I am or not. Okay. Yes. But the other thing to bear in mind is, and this is something that we didn't talk about at the time, because honestly, I've learned it since, mm -hmm. but Necropolis was originally planned by Wagner to be his goodbye to Dread. Right. Exactly. Wagner was in his head at that point actually building an exit strategy. Right. And so and so there is something where Wagner for his psychological purpose for for the psychological purposes of dread um it makes sense that dread is everything that is so amazing about the Kraken dead man necropolis stuff is it's it's dread losing his faith and then essentially finding it again. So there is something a um that that like i'm definitely breaking all kinds of bad faith good faith reader author contracts by basically saying wagner himself is is it's even though he's planning on exiting dread for whatever reasons it's a character that he's walked away from whatever I feel that there is still nonetheless a certain amount of negative emotion associated with that. And one of the things that is interesting about leaving Rowdy is that it is, like Rico himself, a, like a lot more relaxed in that regard. You know what I so mean? So something to bear in mind, and maybe you didn't know this about Leaving Rowdy, is Leaving Rowdy is <laughs> well, Leaving Rowdy is specifically written as the twentieth anniversary of two thousand eighty. Ah, okay, right. I did not know. So, okay. so it, and I think that actually changes. Yeah, definitely the way it, you read it. You know, I, I think it plays out more as a fond farewell or a, a, a nostalgic look back. I think mm -hmm. the first half of it, as you said, like be, plays as something else mm -hmm. when you know it's part of an anniversary issue. Right, yeah. You know, I, I'm not even sure it actually appears in the anniversary issue. For some reason, I think it was delayed, but it was written for the anniversary. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, and so you get, you know, 
dread thinking back about not only Walter, not only his apartment in Rowdy Eights, but like, you know, and then Giants had died and Morph died. McGruder, right. they'd had their differences. You right. know, and here's Lopez. He's thinking about when Lopez died. You know, and, and sure, you play the greatest hits in the anniversary issue, you know? But it's, it is warmer. One of the things I like about, uh, about Rico Mm-hmm. is and especially in this story is you have dread kind of thinking about like the road less traveled again mm-hmm. but then you have rico come in and he is the road less traveled right do you know what I mean like it, it's literally that concept made flesh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you he is like i said he is as terse as dread but he is not as intense as dread mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he has not had to like you say kill his brother mm-hmm. he's not honestly gone through the same exactly the same indoctrination yeah that that Dredd did you know like he's had different experiences and in some respects I think having Dredd there Mm -hmm. removes a lot of the pressures that Dredd himself felt Mm -hmm. right there's there's some level of you know retconning in here there's some level of after the fact suppositioning but something that's laid out in in other dread stories is the idea that dread and the original rico were some of the first cloned judges mm-hmm. if not the first cloned judges mm-hmm. right and they're clones of fargo as well they're clones of the guy who set up the judges right so they feel a pressure to overperform, mm. and then rico breaks bad mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right Mm-hmm. So Dredd is like, okay, I've really got to prove myself now. I have to be the best of the best. Right, right. Yeah. No, exactly. And there's... And there's a... doesn't have that, because Dredd's there and he's been the best of the best all this time. Well, I think the other thing is is that also uh, Wagner has an earlier story, I think might be the story where young Rico is introduced, where Dredd's like, yeah, I know what you're you're thinking about and what you're concerned about. Like, there have been a lot of clones... And most of them have turned out bad. And you're probably really concerned about the idea that you're going to turn out bad. And, and at the sort of at the end of that story, it's more or less like, he's like, you know what? You're going to be good. You're going to be fine. And one of the things that I like is the idea that Rico, two things, to the extent that Rico was worried about it, his mind is put into, is, um, he's his mind's at ease. He's been, it, th- those ideas are more he, he or less introduced right to dread, and it gets yeah. He gets put yeah, to he, rest. He gets dread signing off on him. He gets yeah. dread being like, "You're going to be fine." Right, exactly, and that's that's incredibly validating. And so I feel like the the Rico that we see is more well adjusted, quite possibly because of that. And also, I think the flip side of it might be dread, like. At the time, being like, hey, you know, how, you know, all of the stuff that he's saying to Rico is never anything that you ever hear about Dread. of Dread being like, I'm going to go bad. I'm going to go rogue. Is it just a matter of time? But in a way, maybe, like you said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of drive. There's a lot of something to, to prove something with Dread that that you know that 
weighs on him differently than it weighs on Rico. And and again, one of the things that is delightful about this, I remember talking about this stuff back again with the Kraken stories, is how, and I mean, and this is, I tapped out, Graham, of, sorry everyone for bringing in, um, you know, the American Big Two comics, but like, I tapped out of Spider-Man before the 90s Clone Saga, you know? But, one thing that always sort of seemed weird from a distance was that idea, if nothing else, because they were trying to create marketable IP. Um, like you never, I never got the sense of like, oh, here's here's us playing with the psychological nuance. Like, you know, of like, here's a character literally confronting themselves. Like you said, in this story, here's Dread reflecting on his life and the shit that he's seen and what may or what he could have done differently. And then, bang, you know, here is the younger him literally staring him in the face, you know, and then they get to go shoot up bad guys together. But also the younger him is literally following in his footsteps. Right. Like Dredd leaves his apartment and leaves it to his younger self. Yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and uh, it's 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 very rich. It's really enjoyable. One thing I did want to ask, and I feel like this is something that seems, um, on the one hand, I'm like, it seems a little nitpicky, but this is like the 30 some odd episode that we've, that we've done about Judge Dredd, the complete case files. Speaking of retcons, the whole thing about Dredd being, um, kind of guilty, feeling guilty about Lopez, the guy that he killed, as I recall, on the Judge Child quest for making him take the psychic spice because he hated yeah, yeah, his yeah. mustache. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm like, that seems like a real, that seems like a weird retcon. I don't ever remember any, like at any point, Dread ever mentioning, thinking of any time, at any point, acknowledging I want to say that's happened before now. Has it? Okay. It happens significantly after the event but i want to say this has been brought up before now okay that that like the idea that he feels guilt over lopez it might have been in a conversation with hershey Mm. um but there is there is some point where he basically brings up that that like he maybe he didn't do that right Right. No, which is great. It's just odd. Like, it was an odd thing where I'm like, A, I'm not used to associating it with, and B, in in something that I think, I hope is intentional, because it really, in that sense, makes Dread one of the more realistic characters ever um, portrayed. Uh, he's just, like, not even feeling guilty about the right thing. Like, you know, like... It's Lopez, you know, who is a guy who admittedly ends up dying as a result of Dread being like, yeah, no, take the thing. We have no other choice, which seems very Dread-like. But as we come, as I will talk about or will be obvious in talking about Sin City, like Dread killed millions of people in you know, Sov City 1 or whatever during the course of the Apocalypse War. He's never felt apparently an ounce of guilt on it, but it is kind of amazing that the thing that everyone associates with Judge Strike literally inside this universe and outside the universe is the fact that this guy willingly pushed the nuclear 
you know, pushed the button and blew up an entire city of in, like innocent civilians, people who were guilty, people who weren't guilty. Like literally, is like this is the way to go. Like, and, and and the fact that he's still kind of upset about the fact that you know he killed that guy on in the quest that Wagner and Grant couldn't even be arsed to finish properly is kind of amazing. You know? Well, no, they finished the Judge Child quest properly. Wasn't that the one where they were like, uh, we're tired City of, of it. The, um, City of the, the sequel to the Judge oh, Child quest. Oh, the okay. They, they, they oh, okay. All right. Judge Child quest is the one that ends with um, the introduction of the Angel Gang. Wait, the introduction of the Angel Gang? Yeah. Remember the, the Judge Child, Owen Chrysler gets kidnapped yeah. Angel Gang. Oh, yeah. right, right, sorry. Yeah, Dread Child Quest is way, 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 way back. It's like, you know, year four of Dread. No, 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 I totally remember, but you're right, I'm conflating it. So, wait, the whole thing when they end up in space and Lopez takes the space thing, is that in the it's first Judge Child? Child? Okay. Yes. Right, okay, and then they end up back in space for the stuff that he can't be arsed with because... No, of no, that. no, that's not space. They end up in the future of Mega City 1 where everyone's become a vampire, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I remember. Okay, I remember that. Oh, that's the one they pulled the plug on. They didn't pull the plug on Judge Child, too? I thought no, Judge Child goes, goes like a full 26 episodes. Oh, never mind. Sorry, everyone. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You're right. Yes, You're you, right. Should, you should feel bad, Jeff. I feel incredibly bad. All of these bad. stories in 35 volumes that are roughly 300 pages each. To be fair, I basically remembered each of them. I just did not remember the appropriate behind-the-scenes motivation of the creators yet. <laughs> I'll take that uh, L as long as yeah, it's heavily asterisked. Take the L. Mm-hmm. Just, just feel bad. Um, yeah, I, I, but leaving Rowdy, I think is is just a, a a really, I don't know, nice story mm-hmm. for a better way of putting it. Like I, I find it really heartwarming, which again feels like an odd thing to say about Dread, mm-hmm. but I just really like the Dread family stuff. That sort of gets built around Rico and and later in this volume, um, Vienna as well. Like, oh, I, interesting. Mm-hmm. I I really like the idea of Dreads building a a family, mm-hmm. or or having a family, and how he at this stage begins to interact with them. Yeah, the Vienna stuff. I'm. I have to say. I was much colder on that kind of seemed like just a big old. It's it feels uh, very unfinished. To be fair, like the stuff I like about Vienna is, is mostly later, mm-hmm. uh, and it comes in like Vienna starts to build a relationship with Rico, right? You know, when you get you get stuff there that I think is is that would be fun. That would be interesting to see. So I do feel like Wagner kind of this is this is one of the volumes where I feel like he really goes back to the well more times in a volume than I remember him doing it. Because, yeah, right, Love Story 3, it's deja vu all over again, and then Blood and Duty are basically all kind of like, oh, here's follow-up stories to the thing. Now, and admittedly, that's sort of unfair to say about um, it's deja vu all over again, because that's just, you know, it's, 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 it's it's Wagner's waka waka shtick instead of Grant's waka waka shtick, you know. But it's yeah, still, exactly. you know. Well, I mean, to be fair, Love Story Three is waka waka shtick. Yeah, and I wanted to ask about that too. Is there a reason for it apart from like boobies? Like, I kind of. I mean, honestly, I think the reason for it is I wouldn't be surprised if Ian Gibson mm-hmm. lobbied for it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I people who would know this better would be able to give you a, a better um, answer. Definitely around this era, uh, Gibson starts working for 2008 again, and the primary thing he's doing is a sequel to Sam Slade Robo Hunter, where it's Samantha Slade, uh. like Sam's daughter, but. Samantha Slade started off as basically fan art that Gibson was doing of his own strip. Because hmm. Gibson became cheesecake question mark. Oh, I, I think Love Story 3 um, is the closest thing that you see to to me to Gibson being a cheesecake and also seeing a through line to his from here to other cheesecake stuff. Like, for me, and it's ironic, because, of course, you know, I think because, for me, like, Ian Gibson is always going to be associated in my mind with Halo Jones, like, he's kind of always got, like, one leg in sort of classic 2000 AD, but also kind of a classic character uh, in 2000 AD that sort of escaped the kind of, oh, here's a bunch of cheesecake you know, kind of like, kind of like, oh yeah, here's a story about women. Fortunately, it's a woman who showers five times a day and also likes talking through her left butt cheek. You know, like there's a <laughs> lot more. There's a lot there. It's a completely different vibe. But here, I think maybe in part because I really like Gibson's coloring in it. But you really see, to me, there's a really strong influence of the cartoonists and Playboy magazine. You know. Yeah, yeah, I, I think his color work here is is honestly lovely. In part because it's more that he's working with colored inks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that that you know the traditional painting or or computer color. Yeah, definitely. No. There, there's, a, there's a really sensitive line he's got, and at the same time, he does it in the service of you know some interesting anatomy. <laughs> well, that I mean, again, that is probably true but i think it also um to an extent quote unquote works i have to say i I don't know if you'd read that this story before but the thing that i thought was sort of funny about love story three is he shows up she the the woman uh the jilted sort of psycho who's been fixated on dread ever since Prague 444 yeah, like like a significant period by this point. Yeah, like, exactly. Much years earlier. Yeah, exactly. Has come back, managed to 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 get out of her, and then in the nineteen ninety one Judge Dread mega special. So like, really, just yeah, coming back like the tides. She ends up um, convincing well, trying to convince that she's going to go into Rowdy Yates because she is Dredd's wife. And um, Rico comes back to the building and finds her in bed. Like, I really had that moment of like, I'm like, he's not going to end up in bed with her, is he? Like, I had that weird, like, they would never go anywhere. And it was funny because I don't know anything about Rico and I don't know anything... Like, I didn't know where this story was going, but it was very funny to me in a way that I was like, nah, Rico wouldn't do that. Like, they wouldn't have Rico do that. You know what I mean? And, of course, he doesn't. But, of course, there's a certain amount of, like, but why does... But why? Why this story? You know? So... 
Well, okay, the one like thing said, I like, I, I, I think but why the story is completely legitimate impulse, mm-hmm. to be honest. It, it's it's throwaway that, again, feels like it exists because, like, someone's doing Ian Gibson a favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I like about it is basically Rico walks in and this woman's naked in bed going, Dread, we're fucking. And Rico doesn't even vaguely go, are they? He's right. just like, fucking no. Like, yeah. just get out of, like, you're clearly nuts. Get out of bed. Right. No, totally. Like, I, like, I, I don't know what the problem is, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I kind of love. I kind of love that it doesn't play with the, you know, oh, who knows? Mm. Right. <laughs> Instead, right. it's just like, well, no. Why Why would he? Right. No, exactly. Exactly. No, it, it's... It's it's a it's an odd story. It's a fun story, and honestly, I think I would have enjoyed one more story where, like, Rico's like, "Why the fuck am I moving into this apartment?" Because that part where he's kind of complaining. It, it, it is a shame like, that you get the two Rowdy Eight stories right next to each other because you do. You're like, I would read more of this, but also I feel like it needs a third to land the joke. Yes, exactly. Which is kind of like Rico by taking on Dred's sort of apartment has inherited a whole bunch of shit that he hadn't really intended on. And again, in part because half of the spin on, you know, farewell to Rowdy or whatever is that, is that it's, you know, the twist is that it's not Dredd's enemies that are lying in ambush. Yeah. It's Rico's. Yeah. So, so already it's like when Rico's like, Oh, this is the second time I've been attacked here. I'm like, yeah, but the first one was technically your fault. So I don't understand. (laughs) No, but I like, I also love the idea that like the Rico has, has accidentally signed on to all these things. Like he literally didn't know existed. Yes. Right. Exactly. not just that he was like, well, being a judge, you're going to get enemies. Like, mm-hmm. Dredd has a very particular experience. Right. <laughs> that Rico had no idea that he was going to inherit just by moving into Dredd's apartment. Right. You right. know, which is kind of great. Right. I mean, honestly, it's kind of, and maybe they come back to it, but it's filled with richly comedic um, potential. You know what I mean? Because, like, I have to say, as somebody who up until a few years ago had lived in the same apartment building for uh, 15 years or something, if my upstairs neighbor had suddenly de-aged by 20 years, I would have been freaked the fuck out. You know what I mean? And I don't... But also, like, imagine you moved out and you're replaced by basically clone Jeff. Well, yes. Right. I mean, apart, and that's what I'm saying. Like, the rest of the neighbors would be like, wait, something's different about you. What is it? You know? And it's like, is it the fact that I'm 20 years younger and have a slightly different personality? And they're like, it's it's like your shoes, or you lost Yeah, they'll, they'll be something. like, did you have a haircut? Yeah, totally. Totally. So I think, I think that's the kind of... That's the kind of stuff. I'm. I'm clearly. This is the the episode where I I seem to be angling towards the yeah Judge Dread, but but stickier. God help us. Then even Alan Grant could go sticky. Like we want. I like. It's clear. I want Muppet Show level shenanigans. Speaking of which, it's deja vu all over again, which I think is literally now that I look at it, they. I don't think they got it's it. It's called right it's in the deja context. vu all over again again. 
again again right yeah, yeah which is did they get that right in the uh in the thing no i think they just no yeah they screwed it up on the contents page okay yeah um i i liked it i as you may recall one of the things that creeped me out about uh the last time the branch moronians popped up was really hated how that zipper on the head was drawn much more palatable here thank god thank was the last time kennedy I don't think it was right. No, 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 no. It it was it was one of those guys, uh, one of the artists that uh, that works real heavy off the photo referencing and stuff like that. Oh, so, Simon Davis! It was Simon Davis last time. Yeah, and I was like, Ugh. so so yeah. Um, this was was much more enjoyable. I I I enjoyed it. Graham, did you enjoy it? Sure, oh, Cam Kennedy. Or, yeah, I, I enjoyed the Cam Kennedy again. Chris Blythe's colors are just not doing it for me here. I enjoyed the art much more than I enjoyed the story. I, it's the joke is not funny enough to keep returning to for me, mm-hmm. and it's definitely not funny enough to return to for two chapters. Right. Well, yeah, and that is the other thing again in that weird like, oh, this is modern dread. Like you know, there's there's a sense of Wagner being like, you know what, I'm just going to tell this story as as kind of as as long as it takes. And it really is like, why did we have to have that long? He's like, uh, yeah, I yeah, it... yeah. This because because it's a one chapter story. Let's be yeah, careful. exactly, exactly. So much like um, much like the following, which is also Cam Kennedy Block Court is 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 a is a oneer. I and honestly, I think it's the right length. Mm-hmm. To- like, oh God, I, I think yeah. Block Court is is does everything I wanted to do mm-hmm. and gets out in time. Yeah, thank goodness. Again, the appeal for me, honestly, of that one is Cam Kennedy. Right. Right. Agreed. Um, Escape from Atlantis. What do you think? Escape from Atlantis is fine enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem with it is the, the the threats seem really generic. Honestly, I think what I'm really saying is the problem with me is Paul Marshall's art. Mm, I yeah. think we'd had more stylish art. Mm-hmm. I think I have noticed how generic the threats were right. or it would have like more grateful towards them. Yeah. Um, right. But, but it's, again, it feels over long as well. It's three chapters, I think maybe four, three chapters. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and there doesn't really feel enough there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'd, it's funny because I, I have had a lot of complaints, uh, to give about Peter Doherty in mm-hmm. this um, mm-hmm. in this series, and he draws scenes last assault on Grud's kingdom. Yes, uh, the net the net story, another Alan Grant story, another just another Alan Grant story. But I find his art there much more enjoyable than than what Paul Marshall's does. Oh, from and I, I I find myself wishing that the artists had been swapped. Mm. Mm. You know. That's interesting because, of course, part of me is like, um, hmm. I see the i I see the idea of it, but I'm sort of like, yeah, I think I think uh, like like I'm kind of like. In other words, you basically want to take the artist that you don't like and put it in the story that you don't like at all, in the hopes that the story that uh, you uh, sort no. of honestly, it's not even that as much as I would like to see something a bit more interesting in the in Escape from Atlantis, which I think has more potential overall. Yeah, 
I mean, I I, I mean, I don't really give two shits about Satan's Last Assault and Crown's Kingdom. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Uh. Yeah. I I thought Escape from Atlantis is is drawn out a little long, and the generic art kind of suffers. Um. I I did sort of enjoy the. You know the fact that that Wagner throws in the the idea that that Dread is running around more or less with a, a fractured skull after these guys. Yeah, I, I do like that. It. This helmet is dented, and he's basically like, "Well, fuck, got to do the job." Right, and that that part's really again, you know, it's good old Wagner. You you gotta gotta enjoy it. Uh, Satan's Last Assault on Grud's Kingdom. Like you said, Pete Doherty, it's Alan Grant. And for some reason, there's a character, Don King, that I, uh, which sounds, of course, like the literal fight promoter. Well, Don but King. also it, it's, a, it's about fights, right? Mm-hmm. But, but somehow, yeah, it's, it's like, it's the Don King in the story, D-A-W-N, bears mm-hmm. literally no resemblance physical or character wise to the Don King in our world that she is named after. Yes, no, and in fact is such a weird mix of, in the, perhaps I'm overthinking it, the fact that she seems to talk a lot like Stan Lee for some reason. Right, I noticed that too. I was honestly wondering if I was just making that up. Mm -mm. I mean, maybe you were, but I had the same thing of like, yeah, there's a lot of the whole... um, uh, alliterative hyperbole that make that seems you know like that we know what that's shorthand for, but seems really odd here. And again, also seems very odd in a um me you know maybe that's what Grant is talking about doing something with. I don't know. It's it's honestly as Grant stories go. I think because of Peter Doherty's art um, and some of those weirdly eccentric touches, it's, 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 it's not the worst thing that he's written. Oh, it's no, not no, the worst I, thing I, in like this it's, volume. It, it's yeah. by far, you know, the best thing that Grant does in this book mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. far. Oh, so you didn't, cause as you know, of course, under the, the magazine one, he's got the useless story, which, um, which I, you know, struck me as "quote unquote" kind of almost classic dread, just except that it. I guess it. Yes, it's a bit overlong. Yeah, right. Because it's probably because it's for the magazine. Yeah, because it's does. magazine length, so it's it's like ten pages as opposed to like six or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. and and it feels like like I feel the length, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, I think I feel I, I feel if useless had been six pages, it would have been like really enjoyable. Yeah. Exactly right. So right. So I think that I think that's worth worth saying for the for those people who are tuning in just to hear us, um, savage Alan Grant. Yeah, quasi compliment Alan Grant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. He's I the two stories that, in here that don't suck. Yeah, useless. That, that's and, our, that's mm-hmm. the compliment that that's the, we're willing to give Alan Grant. That's here. that's where we're gonna go now. Should we talk about Sin City or should we I, talk I about everything if we else? Skip over it. And yeah. we'll talk about everything else and then come back to Sin City. To be honest, I with think you. that makes sense. Yeah, I would, uh, I would actually. Uh, that's it. Like the rest of it is mm, like I like Blood and Judy, the Vienna story we were talking about, but it's it is pretty throwaway, mm-hmm. right? It it is pretty. 
Judge Dredd tries to reach out to his niece, and then she leaves, and he doesn't really want to reach out because that's awkward for him. So he lets her go. The end. Yeah. And again, honestly, it doesn't need to be two chapters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's kind of shocking that's that it what is. We have, right, a right royal, mm-hmm. royal occasion is another Gordon Rennie, and it's fine. Again, Weird. Peter Doherty does does reasonably good art, but I always. Mm, Oh, is it Doherty? You know that yep. that's funny because that that means that it's literally Doherty draws both of the strips where somebody squeezes Judge Dredd's butt. Doherty has a type. <laughs> he certainly does, and that type is Judge Dredd's butt. Yes. So. Um, of the magazine material, uh, let's leave Citizen Slump to later as well. I agree because that really might be my favorite thing in the book. Flippers is a fairly generic story enlivened for me by the appearance of Judge Manners again. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, like, and I and I like Judge Manners a lot as a character. Yeah, Judge Manners here, I like. I mean, Flippers is a very much um, Wagner working in pit light mode. I would say because you have. You've got manners in there, and you also have uh, two judges who are romantically involved, who more or less um, decide that they want to be um, free of the judges because one of them has gotten pregnant. And then, ironically enough, is put in the position of dread being like, hey, why don't you guys act like you're judges who want to be free of the system? Um um, I sort of like I, I, I'm I always feel like the enormous pinball field trope in comics is something that always seems visually great and rarely seems um, in any way threatening. And I do want to say that I I kind of like the the opening scene on the giant um, flipper field that that uh, where that happened. And I actually know the um, the pinball board that that the artist was basing their reference on. So that, that was kind of... Is it the Dread Pinball Board, which I know you're, you're a big fan of? Yes, I am a big fan of. It is not, interestingly enough. It is, uh, it, it seems to me, I'm all but certain based on uh, the Fun House, uh, a, um, a, a pinball board that also has like a big giant clown head. In that case, it's a mannequin head that like turns and talks and things. But like a lot of the um, uh, f- overall loops and schloops that the ball gets fired around seemed to me very, very much of the oh yeah, it makes sense. You gotta, you gotta figure out a layout for this board. Just go find one that you can copy off of. But it's it's a good choice. Funhouse is a classic pinball board. Well, um, and also like it, it does actually live up to the idea of a, a giant pinball machine mm-hmm. yeah exactly you know it, it, that's an ex- that is as you said an exciting opener um yeah. dead lost mega city one follows it it is for the second volume in a row a like british reality show parody mm-hmm. it's what's weird because dead lost mega city one is i mean it is it's fine it's it's amusing enough for what it is but it also literally follows up on bad mother right that was the last volume mm-hmm. which i think did this basically exact same joke better 
Yeah, I think I feel like this one got revisited where because I feel like this one is uh, I'm assuming the Brits had um, like a lot of reality TV shows had the amazing race on there before the U.S. did because it feels very much like the amazing race. I don't think so, but maybe. Mm, Okay, so um, uh, I have to say that honestly um be dead dead lost in mega city one and um useless the uh the story that follows i spent half of dead lost which is a wagner story thinking that it was a grant story and then it the feels, useless story yeah doesn't it, it feels very much like a grant story it does yeah and and similarly i actually thought the useless was much closer to a wagner story than a grant story except Again, there were points where I was like, oh, no, that's not true. And I'll tell you, for me, literally the difference is um, there were parts when I laughed. I at least least laughed once or twice in Dead Lost in in Mega City 1, and I did not laugh at all, despite the fact that I really appreciate... Um, the fact, and I'm assuming it was an artistic choice, that the use, that useless, Eugene useless, the, um, the, the helpless, the, the completely useless schlub who somehow ends up doing an accidental dog day afternoon looks like the lead singer of the Counting Crows and therefore, um, I think is perfectly captured in terms of, of just what a nebbish. So well done person who at the time was like you know what the lead singer adam horowitz or no it's not horowitz that's from the no i don't yeah i was gonna say adam horowitz is a bc boy adam dershowitz no who who oh that might be right no it's not oh wait i'm thinking of alan dershowitz maybe it is adam dershowitz um it's adam duritz d-u-r-i-t-z yeah anyway that guy who's uh, to this day, his haircut haunts me. Um, I think that's about what I have to say about that. Necrophage. <laughs> I I like Necrophage actually. I mean, great art. Um, kind of kind of a flat finish in some ways. I think honestly, I feel like, but as kind of a as a pulpy pastiche, and particularly one that seems to have some very specific shout outs to zombie movies, I thought was quite good. It's probably Rennie's strongest story in this volume for me. Yeah, uh, I agree. But all, I, I I don't know how much of that is true and how much of it is John Burns. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, no, absolutely. I, I would say that Burns is the one who really like... Does, does the work. Yeah, and then some. And then some. But that being said, I also think that it is the strongest Rennie story uh, in the bunch. Um, and to jump uh, over Citizen Sump to the last Rennie, the last story in the volume and the last uh, Rennie story, the greatly, the wonderfully titled Star Smashers of the Hidden Galaxy, um, which is a sort of, uh, uh, it, it feel it kind of feels like, again, sort of, it sort of reminds me of modern uh, Dread to me. In that it's like, it's got a sort of semi-clever, um, it's not the most obvious satire of like current pop culture, which I feel like has always been Dread's 
biggest problem. Um, it feels like it has an unnecessarily um, mean axe to grind against George Lucas. Uh, but I don't know. It comes and goes quickly enough. It's it's not what I would call a strong closer, especially considering how it follows Citizen Sum. So I I actually hate it. Oh I, really? Okay. I, I really really dislike it. Uh, mm-hmm. In part because it feels very. I've just seen Star Wars Episode Two and I hate it. Yeah, yeah. I you think know, that's right. The time that basically works out is 2002, right? So mm-hmm. episode two has just come out. And mm-hmm. it feels very fanboyish. Mm-hmm. And, and very um, cool without being inventive, I guess. Yeah. It seems it, – it's amazing considering that we are, again, 35 volumes into a series that, if nothing else, could rightly be accused of – of glorifying fat phobia among other things and a history of let us just say odious racist stereotypes and yet somehow this story somehow ends up feeling like one of the meaner spirited dread stories yeah feel, feeling somehow like nastier and more unnecessary yeah right and that you know, i mean it's, you know, it's kind of hilarious because it's making fun of George Lucas. Maybe it's because making fun of George Lucas is also like just fucking boring. Right. Right. Well, you know, and, and especially, and I say this as a dread fan, dread making fun of George Lucas, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for being like, Oh, look at this complicated continuity. Oh, I bet he's planned and written ahead. It's like, right. yeah, dread's been running for fucking 25 years by this point. Yeah. Right, exactly. Like, there's literally a comic that exists filled with dread spin-offs that are utterly unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And yet you're you're like this is what you're choosing to make fun of? It really it feels fanboyish. Yeah. You know? I I and and as such just utterly just unnecessary, but also kind of like tacky and gross. Yeah, tacky, gross and mean. And again, part of me is like I it's yeah, just sort of sort of weirdly, yeah, whatever. I, I yeah, not strong. I I don't I also don't like it. And again, uh f- on the heels of Citizen Sump too. It's also kind of a kind of like a vinegar chaser, you know? Right. I mean, it's okay, just like so, so let's talk about Citizen Sump. Yeah, let's. Uh, Citizen Sump as we said is Basically, Citizen Kane done with Otto Sump. It kills off Otto Sump, which I found myself surprisingly upset about. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, but it kills off Otto Sump, uh, and Dredd is investigating Sump's murder. And he has multiple suspects, uh, in part because Sump's last word is Rosebud, as we said before. Yeah. And Citizen Kane, yada, yada, yada. Um, the two things that genuinely touched me are... The realization that nobody really loved Otto, mm-hmm. and Otto just wanted to be loved. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's very clear that Otto Sum just wants to be loved, mm-hmm. and the best he gets are people who are through his wealth in his circle mm-hmm. that not necessarily pity, pity him, mm-hmm. but but have more love for them than they expected but it's still oddly circumstantial hmm you know that's interesting i so me i kind of feel that again there's there's 
there's a little bit of revisionist retconning going on, I feel, in a in a way. Um it works for the story, but like throughout the story there you know, Dred's kinda like all Otto Sump wanted was to be loved and like half this city hated him or something. And I'm like, but half the city didn't hate him before this story. You know what I mean? Like one of the things that I, I, he, well, it, it was weirdly cyclical, right? Mm-hmm. Like some would have a hot new trend and everyone would love him and then something would go wrong. Right. But I, th- I think it is, it is a simplification to be like, well, half the city hated him always. Right. No, they didn't. Yeah. No, they like, didn't. The entire cycle of a some plot before this was that some would come along with like the hot new product. Or in the very first one, he'd go on Sob Story and people would love him. I forgot that that was his early thing, that that actually did happen. Like, I was like, oh, right, did that happen? Jesus, did it? Like, I kind of think that that is fabulous. There there was a line in here relatively early on where they talk about Sump being something like the ugly face of capitalism. And... And I have to say, like, talk about the the dime dropping. I'm like, oh, right. Like, that's what it was. Like, I always thought that there was kind of a, you know, again, in that Wagner Grant, like, we're doing, you know, uh, Will Eisner's The Spirit Meets Mad Magazine. Like, you know, we're kind of doing a riff on the, on the fashion industry, except the idea is that it's gotten so extreme, people are obsessed with making each other, making themselves ugly. But... Just that one line, which I can't find, but is in the first page or two. I don't know if it's in those faux articles or whatever, but um, really made me like, oh, shit, right. He is the, you know, he he's literally the face of capitalism and that face is ugly and grotesque. And then and then Wagner does pull the sump is is more human than, you know, and. And there's something that is incredibly in the same way that Wells, although he, you know, basically all but destroyed his career for writing a movie that, you know, directing a movie that was a hit piece on William Randolph Hearst was actually an incredibly sympathetic uh, hit piece on William Randolph Hearst. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. You know, one of the joys here, uh, there's a lot of joys, actually, in Citizen Sum. But one of them is is that Wagner um, isn't, like, it's closer to a pastiche of Citizen Kane than any sort of mockery. Because I feel like he's working from the same ends. Like, he is more or less trying to tell a you know, kind of a sympathetic, heartbreaking story about a, 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 a man that everyone would assume would just be characterized as a monster. Yeah. You know? I, and um, then and the, the other thing I was going to say is, like, that last page is fucking brutal. Well, it is. It is brutal. That last I, page it's absolutely just, like, killed me. Genuinely yeah. killed me. Yeah. Um, spoilers for people who have not read it. Uh, Otto's killed by his mother. Yeah. And his mother is is assisted by her her robot nanny, and yeah. she she actually says like to think a son of mine could inflict such a grotesque affliction on the world is it's more than I can bear, and that mm-hmm. it's, it's her duty as a mother, yeah, to, 
to kill him. Mm-hmm. And he just says, I love you. And then when he dies, says Rosebud, which is the mm-hmm. last thing they're investigating. Yeah. And then there's a flashback at the end of the story, the last page of the story, which is Otto's a baby. And yeah. he's got a wart in his face. And he says, look, mom, I wrote a big red thing on my face. I'm going to be even uglier. And she says, oh, Otto, that's just a little rosebud, darling. Mm-hmm. And he says, rosebud, I got a rosebud, and mommy loves me. Which is just, Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's that. I, I mean, it, I, and that's it. There's part of me where I'm like, you know, part of, it just hits so much harder. Like it, then to me, than Citizen Kane. And I really got to give it up to fucking John Higgins for, nailing that final page too because it plays with the motif of um sump's kind of big quasimodo-ish eye and 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 that becoming the the snow globe that we've seen the wells-esque snow globe that we saw dropped it's you know one of the things that's really fun about it is citizen kane is at the it's it's a it's a mystery that nobody ever solves in the story. No one, as I recall in the movie, finds out who Rosebud is, what Rosebud is. And we... No, no, it's the audience. The audience finds out. Audience finds out, exactly, that that it's the spoilers. It's the sled that he grew up with. And it's the symbol of his innocent childhood. But this hits so much harder as an innocent childhood. But I do love how much Wagner is... um, literally playing with that idea of, you know, again, sort of something that they had in Citizen Kane that he really heightens is that idea of like, it's a mystery and they keep running against dead ends. And at a certain point when they just right on the verge of discovering the, the, the secret that unlocks uh, who the murderer actually is, they're like, maybe it's, not anything like they've already hit three or four right down to, to more or less all but torturing Ambrose Bud, which again is really funny. Um, I also should mention that you and I have talked about how much dread is an inheritor of a, a descendant, direct descendant in many ways of Will Eisner's the spirit. And of course this Eisner was hugely uh, influenced by Wells and Citizen mm-hmm. Kane. And so it's also wonderful seeing the areas where, because this is a spirit-esque dread story where dread's not the main character that we're, we're completely used to. Um, and it also has visual motifs that you can identify from both um, Wells and, and Eisner, like yeah, the yeah. rain and the 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 amazing rooftop, um, you know, cross hatched window or whatever you call it. No, like, no, it's it's Higgins does a great job visually. Yeah. In this. Like yeah. he does a really, really, really strong job that in many ways is off model for Dread, but entirely on model for for Citizen Kane and for like you said for the for mm-hmm. Eisner's like nineteen forty spirit work. Mm-hmm. It's it's just. There, it, visually, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful two-parter. Well, and uh, also, I, did, does Higgins color himself on this? Or is uh, it... let me go check. I don't think he does, but we'll see. Um, it's not listed in the credits, so which I means think he does. That, that means he does. And yeah. so the other thing that's kind of lovely is is that he works rather than because 
because again, Citizen Kane is one of the classic, like one of the most sumptuous um, black and white movies ever made. And the, um, you know, Higgins goes heavy on the blacks, but instead of going with sort of a black and white approach or a gray approach, he goes, there's a ton of purple in here and it works but it's so a really nice well. muted, he's a really nice muted palette. Yeah. You know, exactly. one of the problems I've got with Chris Blythe's colors all the way through this is Blythe goes really bright. Oh, always. always. Like, and, and, and Higgins is, is making really smart muted choices in yeah. this story. And again, I feel to kind of play up in many cases that kind of... Um, noirish know, feel. Noirish black and white kind of art. So, yeah, just just... I mean, it. when I started, like, I have to say, like, by page one or page two, I was like, oh, this is going to be tedious, especially because of the number of just kind of broad, flat, satire things. Like, it's kind of, it is genuinely hard to believe, and I mean this in, in the biggest compliment possible, that the guy who wrote Dead, Dead Lost and Mega City One is the same guy who wrote Citizen Sump. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And because one is, is again, just slapstick vaudeville, and the other you walk in being like, oh boy, this is going to be like a bog standard parody of, you know, whatever Wagner was watching on TV that night. And then it kills Much, you. Yeah. And then it's like, no, I, I actually, I'm going to, I'm going to step up to the challenge and, and deliver something that, um, you know, is going to break your heart. And it really does. Man. Okay, so let's go from the sublimes that are ridiculous. Sin City. <laughs> yes. Sin uh, City is, I, I want to say it's like seven or eight chapters, right? Is it longer? It's longer. I think it might be ten. Um, uh, it, it's eleven chapters. Yeah, Sin eleven City's chapters. An 11th chapter. Uh, so a mini mega epic, I guess. Wagner yes. and Kev Walker story from 2008. It's the one we sort of danced around a bit. It is... On the one hand, uh, about a floating uh, sort of artificial island of debauchery that wants to dock in Mega City One, and is allowed by the judge basically because they bribe the city for all intents and purposes. Like yeah. it, it's it's put in a nicer way, but it's 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 not glossed over. They're basically allowed to bend the law by by paying Mega City One a lot of money. And of course, because it's tried, it comes with many complications in and of its own right. right. And what those complications are, there's more than one. And yes. There's a, there's a, a ha, I bet you didn't see this reveal halfway through. Mm-hmm. You talked before about how, you know, when you're reading it at first, if there is this element of like, oh shit, I didn't see that coming. Oh shit, I didn't see that coming. And you get swept along with it and then you go back and reread it and you're like, this doesn't hold together at all. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. But I also think that works in a weird way. Um, in, in part because for me, the appeal of Sin City is it's, again, it's kind of pit light. Mm-hmm. Like there's some level of soap opera with the other judges mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they have their personal dramas, which, you know, oh shit, is this going to derail the mission? Ooh. Um, but also, there's an element of you introduce this alien concept to Mega City One, and shit gets out of control. Mm-hmm. And 
for me is the fact that it doesn't hold together in that you know there's no plot through line in this at all and the oh shit big reveal just derails everything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um works from that perspective for me mm. like when viewed from a pure does like is it Chekhov's gun or is the Chekhov's gun get forgotten and left in the bin because they introduced Chekhov's cannon, you know, <laughs> checks. sure. Right. 100%. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Like they set things up and they don't pay them off. And what takes up a large part of like the first, you know, third of the story is by the end of it, just like, you know, fuck it. We've moved on. Right. Uh, and so in that respect, yes, totally like, not good a failure but i also like the fact that it does feel increasingly like this has just gone out of control right yeah definitely mm-hmm. and you well i'm glad you asked graham uh so hmm. so for me i uh, two things that i should say the first thing i should say right up front is what shocks me about sin city is uh uh, uh in a positive way is um kev walker's art on it is very mignola-esque uh in and i as a general rule of thumb only like mignola's art when done by mignola and i definitely feel like around this time there were a lot of people who were trying to catch that you know, were either inspired by or inspired by the success of Mignola's art. And we're doing that sort of really, um, you know, strong black Yeah, heavy, emphasis. heavy chiaroscuro, yeah. chiaroscuro, whatever it's called. Yeah, chiaroscuro, uh, I think. Yes. And yes, there I, you I'm go. I'm the one who went to art school, and you're the one who gets the work <laughs> Congratulations. Um, I, I, I want to interrupt and contradict slightly i think they're all ripping off eduardo riso as opposed to Mignola. oh yeah that's true actually you're right you're right riso riso is a strong influence weirdly i don't know why i feel like it's more mignola-esque but you're absolutely right you're absolutely right um that said in here i still think that i would go to the wall i, I never drew the line between mignola and riso which is really funny because i I feel like, as we as we know, he was such a. Oh no! Wait, I'm thinking of is that Lopez, who was a huge uh, influence, too much so on Keith Giffen. Um, oh yeah, yeah. No, Eduardo Riso is the guy who did 100 Bullets, Jeff. Right. Sorry. Yeah, Riso. Uh, Eduardo Riso. I'm sorry. I'm thinking because 100 of... Bullets starts in like 98, 99. Does it? Oh, interesting. Okay. I'm sure... Wait, let me check. No, I'm sure you're right. I it mean, started I... in June 1999. Look at you! Wow, um, that is shocking. Um, I, I, I do. I, I think there's a. I think there's a, a stronger Riso here than a, a Mignola. But there, you know, there's definitely some Mignola, not least of which uh, so many characters here are broad. There's also like a weird dude. goblin dude in this that is 100% Mignola. Yeah. See, I mean, there's the weird goblin dude. The the thing that I think actually, like, uh, anyway. It's not usually my cup of tea. Um, and honestly, interestingly enough, I think that I think that Rizzo's stuff is sort of more my thing. I, I think arguably more so than Mignola, so which is kind of weird. Um, 
And it's fascinating to me that in a way you have a story, Sin City, like, it, it, you know, if you can get your brain out of the, the comic book gutter, haha, if you will, um, is clearly meant to evoke the idea of this is Las Vegas. It's basically yes, a floating... Yeah, that that just sort of docks near uh, Mega City One, and 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 so, like I said, the 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 idea that Kev Walker is doing a sort of um, graphically pared down but kind of direct style is kind of at odds with the material in a way that I think serves it. Like there's part of me that's like, Oh man, if you can just imagine like Chris Weston or, you know, uh, even, even a more recent dread artist like Ulysses Farinas or somebody getting, getting their hands on the material and just sort of drawing the shit out of everyone and everything. Um, uh, and yet I sort of feel like the story it works from this sort of simple approach. Similarly, um, Wagner's story is overstuffed in a way that I thought, like on first read through, I was like, oh man, it's kind of got everything that I want from a Wagner story, you know, like, yeah, it's, yeah. Well, it, it almost has everything. Yeah. Like, it, especially it, the yeah. first chapters, like it, it, Wagner takes a makes a point of like almost overloading the reader with and this is happening and this is happening and this is happening. There's a right. great scene of of a fatty swallowing a woman whole. Yes, which I love because there's a genuinely creepy line of dialogue in there. Mm. Uh, which is when they ask the woman what it feels like to be swallowed whole. Yeah, and it's off and she's off panel. Yeah, and she's just like I don't like it. Please make it stop. I don't like yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. and like, and you know it continues because you get to see her after the fact, right? Like, getting regurgitated. Yeah, but there's something genuinely like wonderfully creepy about that scene because it is confirmation that this is a place that's corrupt. This is a place that that doesn't listen to people saying no, I'm uncomfortable. It, right, and so to the extent that um, you say that the sort of this the the failures of the story to hold together more or less serve the story. I think there is something to be said for um, us, you know, literally the people from mega city one coming to a floating den version of Las Vegas. And that Wagner more or less gives us the Vegas sized version of a Wagner story, which is to say it's got everything in it. It's got too much jammed into it. Um, it it gives you everything that you want from a John Wagner story and then, you know, doesn't deliver. Like if we were talking to the Jeff of, I don't know, a year or so, I'd be like, this is fabulous in the way that it is so intentionally structured. Because one of the other things that is weird about Sin City is how much, um, again, not unlike Vegas from this period, it's all sort of, it, you know, because Vegas from this period is more or less in that period of transitioning from um, the, like, hey, bring your kids and see, like, you know, here's your miniature New York, and here's your miniature Pyramid, and here's your miniature, Exc you know, K 
Castle, and here's all your Ursat's um, greatest hits of Western civilization. Um, once that more or less fails, it sort of goes into the, you know what? And what's great is it's all a decadent sin pit, you know, and that the, the, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas sort of concept ends up emerging out of Vegas after it tries to reinvent itself as, as this big family draw, like a kind of Disneyland for adults and kids and more or less fails. Right. And so the other thing that strikes me odd, deeply odd about Sin City is how much Wagner overstuffs it or stuffs it to the brim with everything that we've seen before, you know? And again, like maybe that is supposed to be intentional, but I'm like, when I was like, oh, cool, he brought back that floating city of vice the, where anything goes. And I'm like, no, wait, this is his own floating city of vice. That was like, uh, I want to say that was a Robin that was the Morrison o- that story. That was the other floating city of vice. Exactly. That was the other floating city of vice. There is the 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 disgraced judge that is is essentially a gladiatorial killer that dread you know basically thought was a a brutal punk and wanted to get rid of and i was like oh right it's that guy who went down south and became corrupt i'm like no we've never actually seen this guy before but we get a flashback you know and and but, stage but like, is that stage but is that, that not literally serving the it's not the real thing. It's the fakes, like Vegas theory. See, and that could be it. Like maybe it. Like, and that's my. It's thing. the it's greatest like, hits, but in miniature, right? Like in miniature and unsatisfying, and maybe well, I, one and, could and, say that's intentional. But but yeah. but here's here's where that falls down. Mm-hmm. Is that Dan is like, oh, but Orlok. Mm-hmm. But see, that's it. Didn't we all? Didn't we have another like Orlock in a floating city, like showing? Yeah, yeah, that was the last time we saw him. Remember? Right, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I barely remember. Everything in here has various elements of. Oh, I oh I've seen this before, and which is fine because at first I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, it's one part the pit procedural. It's one part you know, sort of semi spy novel. You know, with the with the political intrigue. It's it's one part like massive satire on Las Vegas. It's one you know, not just one but two unstoppable things. Like the as you point out, one of the things that's weird and gross is you've got a young guy with glasses swallowing a woman whole, which again is something that we saw in Wagner's Fat Camp story from like yeah, what, just last two, volume or the volume right before, yeah. and it's not yeah. even the same kid like at first i was like oh that's really clever like that kid who's gonna go on to be an eating champion well but also like it's creepier again like I, right. yeah, I don't like i i i get what you're saying but again like something about that works for me in a like it's just too much and it's it's completely out of control where where it falls down for me, weirdly enough, mm-hmm. is bringing Orlok in. As much as I like Orlok, and as much as I like the Orlok plot, right? right? That there's there's this virus. The funny thing is, is so much of Sin City is full of reruns, right? Right. Mm-hmm. The Orlok plot is a dry run for Day of Chaos, which is like ten years away. Mm. Mm. 
That's interesting because I, I, in a way, it also again feels like a. It it feels like a rerun, you know. It it felt like I because I haven't read Day of Chaos, but I'm like once the Orlock ends up more or less launching the Destructo plan, and suddenly you move into the horror movie disaster movie angle of Sin City, um, like you're seeing something that's very, it's different. It's big. It's, and again, one of the things that is amazing is at the end, dread is like, Oh, I feel like this was all my fault. Like, you know, how many of them Guthrie eight, 900,000 all because I failed because I didn't do my job. And, and Guthrie's like, well, if you put it that way, we all failed. It happens. You can't win them all. We just lost big. Bottom line, get on with your job. Do our best to make sure it never happens again. And Dred's like, you're beginning to sound like me. And Guthrie's like, somebody's got to. And he's like, yeah, sorry. And then a wonderful set of Sin City's destruction and a great kind of wonderfully haunting last panel. But again, the thing that's crazy is I'm like, Dred, it's your fault because you bombed fucking Soviet city one. Like the Sovs are still trying to take their revenge decades later. This is exactly why, like you're at fault because you chose to take vengeance on, uh, another, like literally take, take your justice out on an entire city at like almost genocidal levels and here you see it all coming back to you again. And you're like, ah, oh, this is all my fault because I could have done this job better. It's like, no, keep going. Like, I, I feel like your instincts are <laughs> solid, but you're not quite there, you know. Um, he gets there. So there's all this stuff. And like you said, there is a way, Graham, in which I will, if you're, if we're being generous and you are being generous, which is awesome, uh, like I said, first read through, I'm like, oh, this is all great. And then, except again, there's things where by the time you get the dread showdown with Muerte, um, the evil judge turned, you know, gladiatorial nightmare that, that, you know, like you're like, he's in there. Like the, the stakes are so far removed, you know what I mean? Like, and things start feeling perfunctory. So weirdly and if it's deliberate it doesn't i you got to be really generous but like oh, i know I, like... I think i'm being very generous and being like it works for me because of this i'm not sure that was necessarily intentional right well in in a way there is a construction in which it's like okay but but at the same time i'm like i think that was it 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 is this huge filled with so much promise and and interesting stuff and then just Again, as it goes on, I'm like, wait, A, I've seen all this before. B, the payoffs aren't right slash don't really hit. Um, and then finally, unfortunately, Graham, I got to tell you the thing that kind of is sucks for me or where I was like, oh, right. Here's why this doesn't work for me is that, I mean, there's various plot things that I can more or less kind of point out but i i think the biggest one for me is is like this floating city sin city comes off the the docks of mega city one um and 
Mega City One, as you point, as you say, allows it to dock there in part because they're getting a profit part of the profits, but also because, and this is how Dread, why Dread's even willing to to countenance it, um, is the fact that there is a terrorist with a grudge against Mega City One um, that is uh, is planning something, and they have to figure out what it is. So it's basically an undercover mission. So again. Spy novel intrigue shenanigans. The thing that really struck me is is that, how do I put it? There's a weird inherent contradiction. Like, there's a, as long as you go with Wagner on a don't ask, just buy it level, like, um, Sin City is a big visceral thrill, not unlike Vegas. Unlike it, however, part of the thing that kind of, to me, doesn't make any sense if you think about it for more than three seconds is there's no reason the people of Mega City One would need to go to Sin City, right? You know, like one of the things that's been established for decades at this point is Mega City One is a city that is out of control, in part because the populace has absolutely no inhibitions whatsoever. And it literally doesn't matter what the judges have made illegal. <coughs> they still do it. Like, and so there's a point, like there's a point where at one point uh, to show the decadence of Sin City, you show um, hunters hunting human beings, which again, kind of a mega city staple. And then they're sitting there being like, Oh, I'm going to eat, you know, what a delicacy. We're going to be eating boy. And someone was like, Oh, don't, you know, like, don't, I'm not sure I'm ready to be a cannibal. And the person's like, oh, please don't be gauche, you know? And again, in in that weird way of Wagner being like, oh, I've got to show how over the top, um, like kind of vile Sin City is. And I'm like, your, your populace are already cannibals. You know what I mean? Like, it's, <laughs> that, that's it's, the whole point of Resic. That shit, yeah. Right. So there's, there's just, I, and, and so there's, there was, I mean, there's just varying things, whether it's that idea of like whether Mega City One, the populace is like essentially poor, but have their, you know, needs met in a, in a terrible, you know, fifth world kind of way. And therefore, and are frequently miserable and taking out that misery by way of like, the stupidest hobbies and obsessions known, you know, ever invented. Like, it's like, then sort of like, why is there any profit whatsoever to Sin City coming here? Why do the people need to go there? Like, unfortunately, I think that's, it's, it's a weird, like thinking about it again, obviously too hard. As much as I tried to shut off my brain, like, um, it's, it, it's kind of the problem that, uh, you know, Marvel Comics had in a way after you introduce Galactus, you know, it's like Mega City One is already the most decadent city on Earth. And so for Sin City to essentially show up and be like, hey, here we are, the most decadent city on Earth, you're kind of like, it doesn't. It just like you're kind of like oh yeah like in the spectacle of it in the cartooning of it and in Wagner's kind of breathless acceleration by just having everything jammed in there but in a way like you said 
part of it might be that kind of weird ersatz Vegas, you know, um, simulcra. If I, I see, here's where it's my turn to screw up the word, the the Baudrillard word, you know. Uh, it it just there's there's that level of like yeah it it's weird it's weirdly redundant, and it's redundant in a way that in order for the story to function at all, you kind of have to stop thinking about particularly Mega City One in a way that is sort of weirdly anti-dread because I feel like the secret of Wagner's success or Wagner and Grant's success is sort of by making Mega City One, you know, the protagonist and antagonist to to dread. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and here it's as sloppy uh whatever concept as sort of when it first was hatched in 2018. Anyway, that's just my two cents. Like uh, I found myself being like, why can't I just stop thinking of it? And I don't know if that's the, the final thing that, that kind of got under my skin that I couldn't quite get at, or if there's something else that's under there, but I do find myself being like, right. Yeah. There's a weird way in which this story in order to exist has to more or less annihilate the the rest of the mythos in a pretty yeah yeah way for I, I get it that, that yeah like again if you think about it too much you're like well yeah. but why and that but why is a lot right because it's literally that you go along with it or you don't and right if you're stuck on but why then you can't enjoy the story you can be like this is a well done story however i don't buy this for a fucking second Right. And again, the first time through, I pretty much bought it. And I was kind of like, oh, okay. It takes kind of a weird, dark turn. Very weird and very dark. Like, not, you never would have thought from the first five pages that it was going to end up there. But then by the time you get to that, particularly to me, that haunting final panel, it feels right. Um, But, but yeah, but it's kind of a shame. I was kind of like, like you said, you mentioned Day of Chaos, which is still a ways away. It'll be. It, it really is like a decade away. And I, we yeah. we are probably not going to get to it, at least in the case files. No, uh, no, no, exactly. But but there is like in a really strange way, which honestly might just come down to Wagner being like, ah, oh, no, I I should go back to that idea. Sin City is a dry run for Day of Chaos. It's just right. Day of Chaos is goes so much further. Yeah. And I'll, honestly, it makes me very curious. Your response to this makes me very curious what you're going to think of Day of Chaos. Mm-hmm. Which we're definitely going to read. I'm just telling you that right now. Even if we have to jump ahead. Oh, the case I, I'm, I'm still, ahead. yeah, I'm still committed that like once we finish the case files, we've got, I don't know how long it will be. Like at first I was like a full year. And then of course we hit like, two more volumes of just yeah no no i I like maybe a few months i don't think yeah exactly exactly maybe maybe a three-month grand tour of where we hit two or three great classic dread stories per episode and then and then and then we've done our our incredibly long tour of duty graham yeah right my god yeah yeah Um, so okay we're approaching two hours which makes me want to ask favorite story ah Mm. It's funny because, yeah, after spending all that stuff, I'm like, 
I, I think I'm going to probably just as you go with Citizen Sump, you know, um, and then tied for second place is somewhere between Sin City and Leaving Rowdy. And you? Probably the same, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. I probably go Citizen Sump and Leaving Rowdy. Sin City's up there, though. I really do like Sin City in this. Sin City uh, is phenomenal. It was such a fun read the first time through, you know. So, uh, and then uh, least favorite man. Uh, and I feel like this is the challenge. Like, pick your because I was going to say, what's your what's your favorite non Wagner story in here? Oh, favorite non Wagner is probably Necrophage. I think I'll go with Necrophage as well. As well, good good pick. And then the least favorite Wagner and non Wagner story. Uh, least favorite non Wagner is Unnatural Selection. Although I got to be honest, Wall Crawlers is pretty up there. Um, least favorite Wagner is probably Love Story 3. Mm, mm. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, yeah, Love Story 3 at least has boobies for me. So honestly, I, I think I'm going to go with Block Court. I feel like Block Court, even though it had great... I love, you're, wait, you're saying, you're saying Block Court's worse than Escape from Atlantis? Oh, shit. No, you're right. You're right. Are Dead Lost the... in Mega City One? I like I said, I laughed at in Dead Lost in Mega City One. Um and it and I do like how dark the ending is. Um Yeah, least favorite Wagner, I mean I don't know. I really didn't like Block Court much. It felt like it really felt like a rerun. It just had really good art. Escape from Atlantis, I liked a little bit more, even though the art was worse. Like, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like an action it, it, Dread versus three unstoppable androids, and he's got a brain concussion or a, a, a skulk. Fracture. I feel I the mean, concussion is like, is big for you. I feel you're like, look, give me fucking Dread with a, with a, a, a head injury, and I'm there. Uh, by all means, I'm definitely into, to, yeah, head, head Dread. Um, uh yeah so let you know honestly let's just let's just split the difference let's just say that between escape from atlantis and ah shit i don't know graham it's i'm spending too much time picking the the my least favorite wagner story there was a lot i think block court i think block court is a waste of great art i'll just there so there we go everything else is kind of like it's not like you know Paul Marshall had the opportunity of a lifetime slip away, you know, uh, because he got a subpar Wagner strip. But Camp Kennedy, I'm like, we're only getting so many pages out of that guy, you know? So, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to say it. I said it. And then there's like a five-way competition for my least favorite non-Wagner story. Wall Crawlers is, a, is such a big failure. And I think, I, I think I'm going to give it the least favorite because I think that it's the story with the most potential. I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm usually a big fan of, you know, here's how blank in mega city one works, you know, or, you know, it, where it's like, Oh, I've got an impossible job. Cause I'm in mega city one. Normally I'm into that wall crawlers. I was back out of it. If not that, then I gotta say star smashers of the hidden galaxy is pretty terrible. Um, and maybe maybe it does take the lead because it is again it's hateful or 
it's really mean spirited. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in in a way that Dread somehow manages to always, almost always walk that razor line and not tumble into that side for me. So, yeah, but overall, I would say Drock, not Dross. For I was going to ask Drock or Dross. I think Drock is 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 the right way to go with this. I was surprised how much I enjoyed this book. Yeah, me too. Me too. Like I, I, I was another one where I think this is the second one in a row where I finished it. And I'm like, I want to read more Judge Dread right now. Yeah, and then yeah. I remember, like, I don't really because I'm going to be rereading that one like two more times before we record, and that's <laughs> weekly. But still, it's true. It's absolutely true. Okay, well, there we have it, true believers. Yeah, to we quote are Don uh, King. What to quote Don King? Like because she's the Stanley stand-in uh, in this volume. Yes, let's quote Don King. Oh, boy. Um, next time we are doing Case Files 36, obviously, which finally includes uh, Incubus, a.k.a. Judge Dredd versus Aliens. Finally! Very, finally! I've been promised much. this for, like, months. I know. In I fact... Like I feel like I've been teasing it for a long time. Seriously! I have to say, halfway through this volume, I'm like, don't tell me there aren't any fucking aliens in here. Um, so, And yet yeah. there were no fucking aliens in there. I'm sorry. There really weren't. I'm kind of pissy about it, so. I'm sorry. Maybe they were, and they were just inside someone's stomach the whole time. <laughs> just think of it that way. There we there, go. There was a hidden alien on every page. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to do the part where I tell you that there's going to be show notes for this up on uh, Monday at some point. I'm laying it out that flat. It's probably going to be late Monday because my Monday is absolutely batshit insane this week. Mm. Anyway, there's going to be show notes up at some point on Monday at waywallpodcast.com. Uh, you can wait until then and just kill some time on Twitter at waitwhatpodcasts. Jeff is always more interesting Twitter at lazybassett at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-C-I-D and I sometimes say something at at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M and we are a Patreon-supported podcast which is why we're doing this drug in the first place. Jeff, tell everyone what they've won. Graham, again, I point out, you already did. So I I will say that we're incredibly grateful for all of our listeners. Um, The fact that we have done this for so long that my brain actually refuses to acknowledge that it's as long as it has been is truly amazing. And the fact that um, we get great comments and uh, feedback that managed to keep us inspired. Graham, I don't know if you saw it, but in fact, someone on Twitter who posted to the Wait What uh, added us at the Wait What podcast mentioned um, our previous episode where of Wait What, where we talked about the life and career of George Perez and Neil Adams, and they said they liked it. And they also said they liked the podcast and that they thought they compared the podcast to uh, Kermit and Fozzie on a Skype call, which I thought like which one's which? That's all I'm saying. High praise. Oh, we we know we know Mr. Well-behaved semi-feet frog who we're talking about says the mannerless <laughs> bear with ridiculous shtick and a overwhelming demand to be loved. Um, where was I? I'm oh, sorry. Right, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just stuck on mannerless bear. Wait, did I say mannerless bear? Wait, what was I, I thought trying? I thought oh, you did. Oh, without, yes, without manners. Yes, that's it. Why couldn't I have just said rude? I don't understand. No, I like, like... mannerless bear. <laughs> it 
sounds strangely um like you know i don't know like that that is one depressed bear you know what i mean like there's nothing about them they're so monochromatic like they just don't do anything that makes them stand out from the crowd probably because just of some innate lack of confidence in themselves again the self-analysis at the end of this episode is stunning for me i'm really going to have to uh, revisit my medication regime. Uh, also, I have to revisit the fine folks of Patreon. You throw us a little bit of your hard-earned dosh, as well as your time and interest in earage. And as a result, we have Drock, the amazing multi-year march through Judge Dredd, the complete case files, uh, which has been, in many ways, a, I don't know, a second comic education, but it's in one of the um, early numbers, but higher than my first, I'd like to think. It's been it's been remarkably eye-opening. Um, as, I don't know, I guess we weren't talking about it on air. I almost mentioned it like it was. We also have Baxter Building, our uh, read-through of the first 416 issues of the Fantastic Four, plus a bonus episode. Um, all of that is directly attributable to your generosity um, we are grateful, so incredibly grateful. I also want to m- mention Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, her continued support of this podcast and our little neck of the galactic realm uh, keeps us, you know, both um, um, fiscally solvent and uh, asteroid free. And what more can one ask for? Graham? I mean, that's really all I can ask for. Uh, yeah. Jeff, it's uh, oh, first of all, I should say that we are doing uh, Wave One next week. Regular right. Wave One, uh, yeah. we will be talking about. Uh, I don't know. I who even knows what is going to be happening between now and then. But I am requesting right now, Jeff, that we do some Star Trek talk next time. Oh my! Yeah, sure. Um, because I, I have, I have feelings on multiple Star Trek things that I would like to get off my chest. That sounds great. Also, does George Takai is his little shtick the oh my? I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't intentional when I said it, but <laughs> I, I yes, it is, and I don't believe that you weren't intentional. Nonetheless, uh, yeah. hopefully next time Star Trek talk. But more importantly, uh, it's a drug, which means you sing as that. Yeah, that's right. And so, in my uh, musical mellifluous way, I'll say, "Drock, you're under arrest, citizen. Report to the ISO cubes." We'll see you in 30.